0: Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to LifeBridge Online. I'm Pastor Bruce, and uh, man, we're just so glad that you're watching online today. And if this is your first time to watch online, or maybe you're not part of our LifeBridge family, man, I want you to know you're welcome and thanks for uh, letting me uh, share God's Word this morning with you through this uh, Facebook live stream. And uh, in fact, if you're here for the first time watching, uh, man, you could do us a big favor by letting us know who you are, and uh, you can do that by filling out the online connection card in the comment section there on Facebook Live. And so, I want to encourage you also to uh, everyone who's watching to hit the like button, to share this out with friends, and uh, obviously, you're welcome to comment uh, throughout the live stream as well. And so, welcome again to LifeBridge Online. What invite you to grab your Bibles, hope you have a Bible with you, and uh, hope you get situated there in your home, wherever you may be, in front of your TV or computer screen, maybe your iPad or phone, wherever you're watching this, as we're going to discover what happened the day after the resurrection. You know, last Sunday we celebrated Easter, and what a phenomenal day that was, although a, a little different as we weren't able to uh, meet in person and celebrate uh, the defining day, the day Jesus defeated death and resurrected from the grave. And if you're a Christ follower, then you know, in fact, a Christ follower whose life has been radically changed by the grace of Jesus Christ, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, if that's you, then you know that the Resurrection Sunday is the biggest day of the year. Jesus is alive. And as we saw last Sunday, that's the ultimate source of our hope and our joy in this world. But Jesus' resurrection also brings us to a now what moment in our lives. In other words, Jesus died and rose again, so now what? Well, here's the now what that we're going to see today as we conclude this series in the book of Matthew. Notice this, it's, it's that Jesus calls us to live for something that's much greater than ourselves. Jesus gives us a mission that can't be stopped. And this mission is found here at the end of Matthew's Gospel in Matthew 28. And so I want to invite you to reach for your Bibles there and turn to Matthew 28. And we're going to read verses 11 through 20 here for our scripture reading in Matthew's account. Look at it and follow along as I read. It says, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. i tell you what, I want us to pray together here. I'd like the opportunity to pray for you, pray for our time together here this morning. So would you bow your heads right where you're at there in your homes, and let's pray to our Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we thank you again for the opportunity we have to hear your word speak to us as it's recorded in the scriptures by Matthew. And so, Lord, speak to us in a mighty way. Uh, We ask that you would set aside the distractions in our houses and where we're watching this live stream. Lord, help us to focus on what you have for us here at this moment. And we ask that your word would go forth. It would penetrate our hearts. And, Lord, it would take root and not return void. And so do a work in our lives even now. Use me as I speak. And may I speak with your authority and with your power. And to do so in a way that communicates the intent and purposes of what Matthew has recorded for us here this morning. Help us to apply what we hear. Let us be hearers of your word, not just uh, and doers as well. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, during his earthly ministry, Jesus had lots of fans, but very few followers. The crowds loved Jesus, but a far smaller band actually followed him, perhaps only 120. But then something happened. The Romans executed the leader of this small movement in the most public, shameful way. We know it as the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Jesus' closest followers cowered in fear before and even during his execution on the cross. But afterward, instead of collapsing, this small movement called Christianity exploded across the world. Something happened in the first generation. Jesus' movement spread through Israel in the eastern corner of the Mediterranean Sea within another generation. It had outposts known as churches throughout the whole Roman Empire. And it was through the witness of these churches that this movement spread through the Roman Empire and beyond. Even though Christians could be plundered, jailed, exiled, or even executed simply for believing in Jesus Christ. Something happened so that when Jesus died, his movement did not perish, but rather grew. In fact, after Jesus died, he rose to life. And there, before ascending to heaven, Jesus gave us a mission that can't be stopped. Even today, as we look now back into history, Christianity is the largest religion in the world. It is estimated over 2 billion people identify themselves as Christians. That's almost one-third of the world's population. It's astonishing. Christians live in every single political nation on earth. The Joshua Project lists 238 political nations. In the top three unevangelized nations are Pakistan, Nepal, and Afghanistan. In fact, according to the Joshua Project, there are still over 17,000 people groups and over 7,000 of these groups are what is called unreached. That means there's still work to do. That means there's still a a mission to fulfill. That means there's still something to live for that's greater than ourselves. I think every human heart secretly hungers for something like this. We want our lives to count. We want our lives to, to have meaning and purpose while we live in this life. We want to live for something that's greater than ourselves. And Jesus gives us a cause that's not only worth living for, but actually is worth dying for as well. It's the what now after the resurrection. Now, before we look at the mission that Jesus gives his followers, let's first see how Jesus' enemies actually try to stop it. In fact, what we see here. If you follow along on the screen behind me, the TV, the Jewish leaders fabricate this great conspiracy to try to stop the spread of the gospel. Matthew sets up the Great Commission by telling us about these Jewish leaders' great conspiracy to cover up the resurrection. After all, this was their worst nightmare, that Jesus' followers would actually believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead. It says in verse 11, while they were going well who's the they that's going well it refers to the two women that we saw last week the two women who who saw the risen savior and are told by jesus to go and tell the disciples that jesus is now alive and so here's the picture that matthew is painting for us once again he is tr- we what we see here is that while these two women are trying to spread the gospel of the resurrection. The Jewish leaders are at the same time now trying to stop the spread of the gospel of Jesus' resurrection. Notice how this great conspiracy starts off. We have the soldiers that were guarding the tomb. And these soldiers told the Jewish leaders the truth about what happened the day Jesus rose from the tomb. The rest of verse 11. Notice what it says. It says, While they were going, that is the women... Behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. So what did these guards know? What did they see? What did they tell the Jewish leaders? Well, they simply reported what happened the day Jesus rose from the tomb, which Matthew actually records for for us back in verses 2 through 4. Now, can you imagine the conversation that these guards, these Roman soldiers, had with the Jewish leaders. I mean, the guards tell these Jewish leaders all about the giant earthquake that they felt. They tell them about the angel rolling back the tomb, or the stone from the entrance of the tomb. Perhaps they even tell the the Jewish leaders about the angel then sitting on top of the tomb or on top of the stone. And most importantly, the guards tell these Jewish leaders that they saw Jesus alive and how his appearance was like lightning and his clothing was white as snow and how they trembled in fear of it all. Now, this is the nightmare for these Jewish leaders. Jesus rose from the dead. And now these Roman guards are a witness to it all. Well, the Jewish leaders can't let this happen. And so what we see next is they tell the soldiers to spread lies that the disciples are the ones who stole the body from the tomb. You might remember, these religious leaders, they worked hard to prevent a situation where the disciples could steal Jesus' body, and yet, this is the very story that they now fabricate. Look what it says in verses 12 through 15. And when they had assembled with the elders, now it's talking about the guards, and taking counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people. His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, We will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed, and this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. So the religious leaders basically come up with this three-part plan to try to stop the news that Jesus is alive from spreading. Number one, bribe the soldiers. Number two, spread a fantastic lie about what happened to the body of Jesus. And then number three, protect the soldiers from any possible punishment by the governor Pilate. now remember these are the very same religious leaders who had already bribed judas to betray jesus and now they pay the soldiers a huge sum of money to lie about what they had just witnessed the stakes are high after all if jesus truly is the messiah If Jesus really did rise from the dead, then Judaism, as they knew it, and even their positions of power within Judaism, is now over. They're done with. But this plan was flawed from the beginning. I mean, think about it. If the soldiers stuck to the story, we fell asleep at our post, well, that's an admission of dereliction of duty, which, by the way, was punishable by death. Also, how is it possible that none of these soldiers heard the stone being moved? I mean, and if they were all asleep, how did they know it was the disciples who stole the body? And speaking of the disciples, can you really fathom the disciples having the courage all of a sudden now to steal Jesus' body when they were too scared to even follow him to the cross? And then lying about this. That means the disciples participate in a massive conspiracy. They maintain the conspiracy and then they die for a lie. This is simply implausible. The religious leaders, though, want people to believe that Jesus' resurrection is a hoax. It's a fraud. It's a lie that they fabricated to try to stop the spread of of the gospel. Now, what we have here is something of what should have happened versus what really did happen. Notice this, the Jewish leaders should have confessed Jesus as savior and lord. But instead, they continued to rebel against the risen king. Think about it. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest miracle in history. And if it had been it had been predicted by the Old Testament prophets, Jesus himself had predicted that he would be killed and then rise again. And now it has happened. Jesus is alive. And as soon as the guards' report reached their ears, these religious leaders should have fallen on their faces. They should have confessed that Jesus is Savior and Lord. They should have trusted him for their very own salvation. But they didn't. Instead, these religious leaders continued to rebel against the risen king. And now they put themselves under the very judgment and wrath of a holy God. The warnings are clear. And the invitation is clear. The warning is clear and it is this. It's a warning even for us today. That is, don't resist the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and suffer God's wrath of eternal judgment. But the invitation of God is just as clear. And that is receive the salvation of Jesus Christ that is now provided to us through His death on the cross and His finished work on the cross and His resurrection so that you might enjoy God's gift of eternal life. Listen, this is the good news of the gospel. After all, I mean, it's what Paul writes in Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. That's bad news. But listen to the good news. But the gift of God is eternal life. And that is the invitation that is extended to you even today. Yes, after the resurrection, the Jewish leaders tried to stop the spread of the good news that Jesus is alive and he's willing to save anyone who believes in him. But nothing can stop the plan of God's redemption. Which brings us to our what now moment today. It brings us to the answer of that question for us even today. Notice it, number two. Jesus Christ gives The Great Commission to advance the spread of the gospel. Now, the amazing thing about God's plan of redemption is that He actually uses followers of His Son to advance the spread of this good news. After His resurrection, Jesus gives His disciples a mission to make disciples of all nations, which has come to be called what we know as the Great Commission. So this is nothing less than the mission statement of God's people for the last 2,000 years. So obviously what Jesus says here, what is recorded for us by Matthew at the end of his book is of vital importance for every Christ follower in every local church. Matthew wants this commission, this great commission to be the very last thing that we see in his gospel. But don't miss... That Jesus is still the supreme focus of it all. So let's break it down. Let's unpack this. You see, number one, the community of the commission or the recipients of the commission is the disciples of Jesus. Notice what it says in verses 16 and 17. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, we rarely talk about these verses, but we should. Because they actually set the scene for what we know as the Great Commission. Having risen from the dead, Jesus now meets his disciples at the mountain in Galilee. Now, what follows is almost comical if you think about it. These 11 disciples are the closest friends Jesus has on earth, and now Jesus is about to leave them. But before Jesus ascends into heaven, Jesus gives them a mission to spread the gospel across the world. Now, imagine with me for a moment that you were there on this mountain, and you're having a conversation with Jesus on this mountain. So you ask Jesus, Jesus, man, what's your plan for reaching the world? Oh, I've got 11 men, Jesus says. That's all? And Jesus says, no, there are more, but these are the key men I have. And you think to yourself, I thought you had 12 men. I did, but one of them betrayed me. And so it goes. 11 men to reach the world for Christ. Doesn't seem like a good way to begin a worldwide movement. And yet, Jesus starts with these 11 men disciples so the resurrected Jesus now meets his disciples on a mountain in Galilee and notice their reaction when they saw Jesus what did they do it says they worshiped him now that is the exact same reaction of the two Marys we saw last Sunday when they first saw Jesus alive what did they do They bowed down and they worshipped Jesus. They clung to his feet even and worshipped him in adoration. And now the disciples are doing the same thing. They're worshipping their Lord and Savior. But also notice the other reaction they have. Matthew tells us that some doubted. Are you kidding me? Jesus is back from the dead, just as he said. You'd think there'd be No questions, no excuses. You'd think their faith would be much stronger now. Here's Jesus standing in front of them in his resurrected body. You'd think they'd be all in. Nothing holding them back, ready to listen to what he has to say and follow him without reservation. But no, some doubted. Yes, they worship Jesus, but what Matthew includes here, what he wants us to see, is that their worship was mingled with doubt. Now, it's not too encouraging to lose one of your top men to betrayal. But it's worse when some of those men still doubt. But that's the stark reality on this mountain in Galilee. Even at this moment, even at this point, this small band of disciples was weak and imperfect. They are feeble in their faith, and they are still full of fear. In fact, this word for doubt that Matthew uses, it actually carries the connotation of hesitation. In other words, these disciples were still holding back a little bit. They're a little bit timid. They're not quite sure of everything that's happened so far. As D.A. Carson explains, the move from unbelief to fear to faith and joy was for them a hesitant one. Jesus' resurrection did not instantly transform men of little faith in faltering understanding into spiritual giants. And so this is their stark reality. And here's the news. It's oftentimes still our reality. Like these first disciples, our own worship of Jesus Christ is often filled with doubt. But don't let this discourage you. In fact, let it do just the opposite of that. I don't know about you, but I find this very encouraging. To know that my faith doesn't have to be perfect before God will use me and call me to his mission. Listen, God loves imperfect people into his perfect kingdom, and God uses imperfect disciples for his perfect plans. This is our reality today. We are a messy community of Christ's followers. But we have a mighty savior. And this is the good news that we seek to share with a lost world. Which brings us now to the authority for this whole commission that Jesus gives. And that authority is the rule of Jesus Christ. Look what it says in verse 18. Matthew says, or actually he's recording Jesus' words here, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, everything that follows from this point forward in verses 19 and 20 is based on this claim. Which means if verse 18 is not true, then what Jesus says in verses 19 and 20 is basically meaningless. So what is Jesus saying about this lofty claim of his? Well, Jesus has all power, but he now claims more than that here. You see, power is the ability to act according to one's will, and Jesus has that. While the authority is about jurisdiction... In other words, authority is about the legal right to rule with the power you've been bestowed. And that's what Jesus is claiming here. Remember, Jesus has already demonstrated his authority. In fact, that's part of the purpose and theme of the Gospel of Matthew from the very beginning of chapter 1 all the way through chapter 28 here. Matthew is establishing the fact that Jesus is the king. And he has authority as that king. And we find this. We're getting glimpses of that authority of Jesus all through the book of Matthew. In such, he has authority to heal. He has authority to cast out demons. He has authority to even judge people. He has authority to forgive sins. Now, here though, he adds one small but super significant word to his authority. All. He says all. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, this is not necessarily a, quote, new authority, but it is apparently a new level of authority. The highest level possible. In other words, Jesus has been given universal authority to rule as the king of kings. The Father, that is God the Father, has now handed over absolute authority and everlasting dominion to his earthly but now exalted son jesus has been enthroned not merely as the king of the jews but as king of the world this is why the apostle paul could write in ephesians chapter 1 verses 19 through 22 listen to these words that god Worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church. In other words, there is nothing. In heaven or on earth over which Jesus does not have authority. In other words, does not have the right to now rule and reign as the king of kings. This is what led Abraham Kuyper, who was a Dutch politician, journalist, and theologian, to say, There is not one square inch on planet earth over which the risen Christ does not declare mine. Why? Why? Because Jesus has been given by the Father all authority in heaven and on earth to rule as king. So why is this so important? What difference does it make or shouldn't make even in our lives? Well, the impact of Jesus' authority to rule means that the mission is unstoppable. Remember what Jesus said earlier in the book of Matthew? You go back to Matthew chapter 16. And in verse 18 there, Jesus declares to his disciples and says, listen, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In other words, God has a mission and there's nothing that's going to stand in the way of that mission. It's unstoppable. So what is the goal of this mission that Jesus gives to us as his disciples? Well, notice it. the goal is to make disciples of Jesus. And again, the amazing thing is that God uses us, followers of His Son, to accomplish this very mission. Jesus gives His followers this mission in these verses, 19 through 20. Listen to them again. Look at it with me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, this mission involves several... Different elements, but there's really only one main mission, one main thrust, or one main goal, and that's what I want us to focus on. So the center of the Great Commission is this phrase, make disciples. In fact, it's the only command in these verses, and it's the main thrust of Jesus' words. The words that are also important are go and baptizing and teaching. Listen, those are significant. Those are important. But they simply serve the command, the main command here, of make disciples. So what does this mean for our church? Well, it's rather simple. And it means the same thing for every church, or at least it should. It means LifeBridge has one mission and one mission only. And that is to make disciples disciples. Or how we say it here at LifeBridge, our mission is to make fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. This is why we exist as a church, to glorify our Father by accomplishing His mission of making disciples. Now, that leads us to an obvious question then. well, What is a fully devoted follower? What's a disciple? We're to make disciples. What is a disciple? What does a disciple look like? What does a Christ follower look like? Well, based on the Gospels, based on the rest of the New Testament, we here at LifeBridge, we have defined fully devoted followers this way. And I know many of you are already familiar with this. We defined a follower, a fully devoted one, one who's in progress, one who is being grown, not perfect, but a Christ follower is this. They know Christ, they grow in their relationship with Christ. They show Christ and they go with Christ. Why? In order to make other fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Now, this means, as a church, we must go to all nations or people groups and share the gospel with those who don't know Christ. As someone once said, the first work of the whole church is to give the gospel to the whole world. There's not a nation, there's not a people group where Jesus does not have the right to be worshipped as Lord and to be followed as king. Remember, Jesus has authority to rule as king everywhere over everyone. This is the reason Jesus commands us to make followers of all peoples in the world, both locally here in Kansas City and geographically or globally all over the world through our missionary partnerships. So our mission here at LifeBridge is to go with Christ and share the gospel of Jesus Christ, this good news that has radically changed our very lives so that more people will know Christ and know the hope and peace in the gift of eternal life that's provided through Him. We must also baptize people. These other words are important. We must baptize people who already Know Christ and then teach them to follow Jesus and obey all that he has commanded. So our mission is also now to help believers, help Christ followers to grow in their relationship with Christ. To to show Christ to other people as they live and where they work and to go with Christ. Why? In order to make other Christ followers of Jesus. This means that every follower of Jesus has a a gospel-sharing, disciple-making, Christ-centered mission in his or her life. Now, I don't know about you, but that can be awful overwhelming. Make disciples of all nations. Jesus first gives this commission to these 11 disciples, but it's also a commission that he's given to us as Christ's followers, and us here at LifeBridge. It is our mission. It can be daunting. There's still much work to do. And so I'm thankful for what Jesus says here. Notice the promise that he gives us in this commission. And that is his very presence. We have the promise of the presence of Jesus Christ. Look what he says at the end of verse 20. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It reminds me of the story of two milk cows who were eating grass when a milk truck drove by. And there was a sign on the truck that simply said, fresh milk, homogenized, pasteurized, fortified, low-fat, vitamin-enriched milk. Well, after reading the descriptions, one cow said to the other cow, kind of makes you feel inadequate, doesn't it? Imagine how inadequate these 11 disciples must have felt when they first heard this mission to make disciples. No wonder Jesus gives them and us the promise of his presence. And he knows what we are like. He knows that we are weak. He knows that we are prone to fears and doubts just like these first disciples. And so Jesus starts with 11 men to reach the world. 11 men to make disciples of all peoples. And on the surface, it doesn't sound very hopeful, does it? In fact, it sounds downright impossible. No wonder some of the disciples doubted. That was their stark reality that day on the mountain in Galilee. So how are these 11 men supposed to disciple all nations, especially when some of them still doubted? Well, it can't be done. You see, we make a huge mistake if we read this Great Commission apart from its context. Listen, Jesus is not saying to them or even to us today, okay, guys, it's all up to you. Because if that's the meaning, then the whole Christian movement would have died within just a few years. Here's what Jesus is saying. You're not equal to this mission. And I know that. But I am, and that's why I am with you. That's why I'm promising my presence and my power. That's why Jesus says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Listen, this is a blanket promise of the ongoing presence of the Son of God with his people. Wherever they go, no matter how far they go, to the very end of the age. This is huge Because Jesus is basically saying to us, don't worry. Listen, I will be there with you every step of the way. And the implication is not just a future hope. It is our present reality. Even in the midst of our stark reality of doubt, Jesus' present reality is he is with us. We have his presence and power now. Every step of the way, every risky step, step, every moment when you feel uncomfortable and every situation where you feel a little stretched, Jesus is there. And the promise is that Jesus' empowering presence can overcome our weaknesses. It can overcome our fears. It can overcome our doubts. And so perhaps in context, this is how we should read what Jesus says here in Matthew twenty-eight. I have all authority in heaven and on earth. I am with you always to the end of the age. Now go and make disciples of all nations. Now I'll be honest. I don't know about you, but I tend to focus on number three. The making disciples part. But the making disciples part is totally impossible without one and two. There's no doubt Living as a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ can cause a little doubt and fear. But Jesus says, listen, I am more powerful than anything that you can run into. You are not on your own. I am with you always. After Jesus finished his mission on the cross, he calls us now to continue God's mission Of making disciples. Listen, this is a mission that's much greater than ourselves. It's a mission that can't be stopped. So let me ask you a couple of questions in relation to the mission. And that is, where do you stand in relation to this mission that Jesus gives us? What next step do you need to take in this mission? Do you need to believe, first of all, the good news of the gospel and to trust Jesus for your salvation? Listen, that's the very first step. Before you go any further, you need to evaluate, where am I in relation to Jesus Christ? Do I know him as my Savior? Have I humbled myself in repentance of sin and confessed him in faith? Listen, the first step is to know Christ as your Savior and then begin following Him as your King. Now, I know many of you listening, you've already taken that first step. You know Christ as your Savior and Lord. There's been a time in your life where you can point back to, you can look at, and know that's when I trusted Jesus for my salvation. And so now you you confess, I am a Christ follower, and I am seeking to follow Him. But what next steps do you need to take in that process? Do you need to take the next steps of, of growing more in your relationship with Christ? Showing Christ in greater ways, in deeper ways? Or what about even going with Christ to share the hope that's in Christ? Listen, and these, understand these three issues here of, of growing, showing, and going, and even knowing. We don't reach one of them and just write it off. This is part of the life of a Christ follower where we continually lean in on the power and presence of Jesus Christ to know Him more, to grow stronger in our relationship with Him, to show Christ as He dwells in us, we show Him to others. And finally, to go for the purpose of sharing the hope that is in Jesus Christ. Now as we close, I want to encourage you to Respond in prayer about this very thing. You know, pray for God to reveal just one area of your life where you need to increasingly submit to Jesus as your king or grow as a Christ follower. Pray for God's grace and strength to take these next steps with Jesus. And then last of all, pray for that one person that you know who you want to see Come to saving faith in Jesus Christ and begin to follow him in their life. Might be a friend, might be a neighbor, a family member, whoever it is, begin to pray for them by name that they would know Christ through saving faith and their life would be radically changed just as yours is. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time together. We thank you for the gospel of Matthew that has Shown us the passion of Jesus Christ, his really his passion for us, his passion to glorify his Father and to fulfill the plan of redemption, the atonement that is paid for on the cross by his sacrifice, and through the power of his resurrection, Lord, we now can participate in that. we can be changed, we can have hope and peace in the midst of a pandemic, and now we are called to a mission that is greater than ourselves. Lord, let that be the focus of our lives. Let that be the passion of our hearts going forward. In your name we pray. Amen. You know, here at LifeBridge we are a a community of Christ followers. Not a perfect community, but rather a very imperfect community. I don't know about you, but we identify with those first loving disciples. And, uh, but we are a community of Christ followers who have been saved by Jesus' work on the cross and are being even still changed by the grace of Jesus Christ. And, and we here at LifeBridge strive to live on Jesus' mission till he returns. And until that day, our greatest desire is to, to see more people trust Jesus as their Savior and follow him as their King. That's why our mission here at LifeBridge, we say it's to bridge the gap. Bridge the gap with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the hope that is found in Jesus. And one way you can help us do that is by by giving financially in order to continue the mission here at LifeBridge. Your giving, obviously, it honors the Lord even in a crisis like this, but it also fuels our mission to bridge the gap here in Kansas City, but also when you give to faith promise. It allows us to continue to support our missionary partners that we have around the world who are doing this very thing, this mission, in other parts of the world. And So your faith promise giving goes to support that very purpose. The easiest way to give is online. You can do that through our church website, We wearelifebridge.com. And many of you have already taken that step of giving online especially in these last four weeks since we're not able to meet in person. And as your pastor, I just want to say thank you so much for, for you know, considering that option, taking that option, and giving online. It's the easiest thing to do. It's secure, safe, and simple. Many of you are, are still, you know, give by check or cash, and you can put that in an envelope and obviously mail it to our church or drop it off at our office. You're always welcome to do that. We appreciate your faithfulness in giving And you're so generous in that, especially during this time. In fact, our offerings over the last four Sundays during uh, this pandemic have been right online. We have not dipped. They have been really just outstanding. And so thank you, LifeBridge, for your faithfulness and your generosity. If you have any questions, if you have any needs, listen, don't hesitate to contact us. We're still here. We want to minister to you. We want you to know that LifeBridge cares. And I know some of you, you've been impacted by this pandemic already. You've lost a job. Your hours have maybe been cut. Maybe you've been furloughed, whatever the case might be. We want you to know that if you need help with food or financial assistance, we're here for you. We want to help you bridge the gap during this pandemic, whether it's with some food, whether you need a little bit of financial assistance. So reach out to us. Uh, We have a benevolence fund, and it's funded, and we want to help you. We want you to know that LifeBridge cares for you. Join us again online next Sunday as we begin a brand new series in the book of Ruth. We're going to discover how we can find hope in a fallen world. In the meantime, stay strong in the Lord, and God bless.